Just a heads up, everyone. This podcast features adults having adult conversations, and there might be the chance of adult language. Also, we may talk about some difficult grieving experiences and themes of mental distress that can trigger some people. If this conversation stirs up some hard emotions for you, please reach out to someone you trust. Hi, I'm Tatiana Rotere, and you are listening to Crazy Grief, the podcast. Grief can make us feel like we're going crazy. It affects our emotions, our physical health, and our mental state. It has a huge impact in the way we relate to people and the way we see ourselves. Crazy Grief is a safe space for us to have candid conversations about grief and all the crazy stuff that comes with it. We are here to share our stories, how we cope with grief, and what kind of help really helps. If you lost your person and you feel like you're going crazy, let me reassure you, you're not going crazy. You're just grieving. So let's talk about it. So today on Crazy Grief, we have Nada Frazier. Nada is the founder of The Sacred Servant, where she serves as a non-medical, non-judgmental, holistic life and death coach. She is an end-of-life doula, guide, mentor, trainer, consultant, community educator, writer, and lover of life. Nada is a certified end-of-life doula advanced mentorship through quality of life care. She has earned a proficiency badge from the National End-of-Life Doula Alliance, which is Nida, not to be mistaken with her name, okay? So Nida is N-E-D-A, and Nada's name spells N-A-D-A. She has also been on the board of directors of Nida and as a chair of Nida's newsletter committee. She has served as a hospice volunteer for over 12 years, and she found and facilitated the Death Cafe of North, Northeast Florida. The upcoming virtual meeting dates for the Death Cafe are September 14th, October the 5th, November the 2nd, and December the 7th. I will put those in the show notes together with um, Nada's website. So a little bit more about Nada. Since 1991, Nada has been a presenter and inspirational speaker in various workshops, classes, seminars, and events all across the United States. She serves as an instructor of her class, Live Consciously by Exploring Death, in the University of North Florida. It's an adult um, educational program. She is a non-denominational ordained minister and has served as a spiritual leader of Unity of Jacksonville Beach since 2015. So you can also find videos of native spiritual lessons on the Unity of Jacksonville Beach website, which I will also post on the show notes. Nada has served on numerous boards as a trained mediator and published co-author. Now, I had no idea what a end-of-life doula was until recently when I found some beautiful Instagram posts from the Sacred Servant. So I started to follow Nada on Instagram 
And I started doing a little digging. I got to her website. I listened to some interviews she has done. And here we are now having the immense privilege to have a conversation with Nada. But just before I stop fangirling and blabbering about her, I just want to clarify something about the sacred servant and what it does and what it doesn't do. Because the, the essence of the end-of-life doula care is to provide non-medical, non-judgmental support and guidance to individuals and their families through the times of critical transformative life change, like, for example, when someone is dying or right after someone has died. The sacred servant does not provide medical care, mental health counseling, or legal services. However, Nada can provide paralegal services because she is a Florida registered paralegal with over 35 years of experience. And she's also a Reiki master teacher who enjoys her family, meditation, writing, nature photography. And she has told me that she never met a tree or rock that she didn't love. <laughs> did I get this right, Nada? You did. You absolutely did. Thank you so much. Wow, I'm going to take you everywhere to introduce me. I absolutely love that. Thank you. I do want to clarify one thing. As a Florida registered paralegal, I only provide services to a through attorneys because uh, our structure here in the United States uh, is that a paralegal must be under the direction and supervision of an attorney. Uh, so I have a lot of experience in organization, but I can't provide legal services. So thank you for clarifying that. Awesome. Well, thank you for clarifying that. And I think that this is one of the things that it's really, really important. Um, and we, I can't speak for everybody, but I can speak for myself. Uh, my husband and, my, and I, we kind of... Um, went along with life and busy with raising kids and work and um, aging parents. And then all of a sudden, um, we had to deal with some really important um, things to do with my father-in-law's passing. Um, and and we had no idea. And so to have someone coming alongside us to guide us in the process of all the legal things, the paperwork, the documents. That was really amazing. But then we should have learned our lesson, right? To, and, and create our own will and, and put our own affairs, affairs in order. But we didn't do that. And I think part of it was because it was a little bit scary doing that for my father-in-law. And then um, my mother-in-law also passed away. So we were dealing with a lot of stuff. And then in the middle of that, my husband passed away. Mm -hmm. And I was so unprepared in so many levels. And I'm just really grateful that I have friends and family who could do for me some of the services that you provide for other people um, in the areas of, you know, all the documents, the, the amount of things you need to sign. And, and, and for someone like me, for example, that my husband passed away and all of a sudden I'm getting his death certificate and have to take that to the bank, have to take that everywhere with me. That was traumatizing as well. So I'm really grateful for people like yourself that guide you. people with compassion in doing those things that are very necessary but very heartbreaking as well. Thank you for that. Actually, for me, it one of the things that 
that really catapulted me into um, making sure that my husband and I had all of our documents together. And that's an ongoing process, right? Because my password changed this morning on one of my accounts or, you know what I mean? That's, yeah. that's the nature of how things are now. But what happened was that my husband got sick uh, and all of a sudden I realized there was a lot of information. We're a couple. We both had jobs. He handled certain things. I handle certain things. We both know what's going on. But when he got sick and it was kind of, you know, all to me, I realized I didn't have all the information that I needed and that I didn't know some of the things. And, and, and so we really didn't have our stuff together the way I would have wanted it to be together. And so I just spent a lot of time putting that together. And actually, that's one of the things that that I spent a great deal of time trying to help people to have the tools to pull all that information together. Um, because from my perspective, A, I don't want either of us not to, to you know, what, when one of us dies, and we will, one of us, one of us will die um, before the other one, most likely, unless we both leave the planet at the same time. But if one, when one of us dies before the other one, I didn't want, I want my family to be able to grieve. Mm. I want them to be able to, to process and do all the things that, that they need to do at that given moment not worry about where my birth certificate is, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and, and now I know. Right. Um, and so one of the things that we, for me, was that when my father-in-law passed away and we saw a lot of that happening, you know, for my mother-in-law, we had to be there to, to support her. Then at least we put the main documents into one folder and easily mm -hmm. accessible. At least that. So then right. I was able to just hand that folder to whomever. I don't right. even remember whom. And, and people helped me through all of that. Um, I have um, amazing friends that just really took that as a mental mm -hmm. to do it because they were people that had the um, skills to do it. But in some ways, if I didn't even have all my documents in one place, that would have been another layer of pressure because at that time you're not thinking straight oh no you're not I mean I mean it's just yeah. that's that's what the nature of grief and so but there are details that have to be dealt with and so for example if my husband and I did leave the planet at the same time you know we have children in that, that don't live even in the same city that we live in. Mm -hmm. And so my concern, and, and I really call it the best gift, I, one of the best gifts I will ever give them is our paperwork that's together. And so my husband and I started compiling. We, we call a friend of mine that I taught, you know, helped to put theirs together. They call their the book of love. And oh, they, and, yep, they handed it off to their children. They made copies for all their kids. They, mine, for example, we've done on a thumb drive so that we can give our kids the thumb drive and say, I know, you know, because they don't want to hear about that right now. And we're like, we get that, 
but someday somebody's going to need this, you know, so, or, or, and then we periodically would move to update it, but that's the best gift I'll ever give them from the one of the best. I want to emphasize not be necessarily, but one of the best because they're going to, they're not going to have to wonder what I want, what music I want played at a service, or if I want a service, or what I want that service to look like, or the disposition of my body. Do I want to be cremated? Do I want to be buried? You know, and a lot of this information for me is stuff I've learned over the years, because what I've seen when families, and I'm not saying this is every family's experience, because a lot of them pull together and they just figure it out. And everybody's on the same page. Mm. But what I have also seen is that when families don't discuss these things, you'll have various members from different parts of the country or who knows, you know, come in and nobody agrees on anything. You know, for example, I know of sisters that stopped speaking to one another at the time they needed each other the most. Yeah, because, you know, they were so in grief and but they got sideways with one another because one was absolutely adamant that the mom would want to be cremated and the other was absolutely adamant that she would not. And so all this energy, all this anger, all this time was spent on those kinds of issues where the mom, if before her death had just said one sentence, I want to be cremated girls. Mm. You know, (laughs) I mean, there's a many other things you can do. You can go in or prearrange and do all kinds of that. And I help people do stuff like that. But the point is just that one sentence could have prevented her daughters from having this, this real serious disagreement that will affect the rest of their lives and their relationship. And when your mom dies, you, you know, or any loved one dies, you need to be helping each other, not at odds with each other. And that's what planning helps with. Um, in your experience um, with families that you've helped before, um, why do you think that there is this resistance that people feel about the planning? It's I can speak for myself, and I don't know if this is um, something that other people can relate, but I think for me it was almost like this magical wishing, thinking that if I don't plan, it's not going to happen. I, I, as a rational woman, saying that out loud sounds silly, but in a deeper level, I think that when I confronted myself about those things, it really was that. You know, it's almost like if I avoid it, if I don't look at it, then mm-hmm. it's not going to happen. And then it does happen, of course, because this is unavoidable. But what is some of the reasons why people avoid planning? I I call it the elephant in the room, right? Nobody wants to talk about the elephant in the room. But right now, even with you and I, although we're talking about the elephant in the room, I mean, the reality is one of us is going to die before the other, and then the other person's going to, in other words, what's the death rate? It's a hundred percent, you know? Oh my God, yes. And, and so what that means, but for many of us, first off, I think culturally, you know, we don't want to talk about death 
there are some people who have, have in the classes that I've taught who have voiced to me. I've never gotten all of my documents together or done my, my work or had these conversations because quite frankly, I'm afraid that if I do it, it'll somehow bring it about, bring it about. Right. And of course that's, but that's a, you know, and I don't mean to discount anybody's fears, uh, but that's a fear for Mm -hmm. some people. I think for most people, we just don't want to think about it. You know, that it's, 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 we just don't want to talk about the D word. You know, we have words in our language that we kind of assign, you know, (laughs) we're taboo stuff to. I think death is one of them. Now, I think that's beginning to shift Mm. because people like, you know, in the death pot, what I call the death positive movement. In other words, we're trying to help people have these discussions in advance Mm. to do this with our children, to show the cycle of life. I mean, for me, I think one of the reasons that I became whatever I do for folks now, whatever you want to call that, but showing up and supporting people the way I do is that it was never odd to me. I, you know, because I grew up on a family farm with my grandparents. I spent a lot of time on the family farm and, it, and, and you learn a lot about cycles of life, right? Yeah. You have the new baby chicks born, you have the eggs, you have the, you know, and then guess what? You may be eating that chicken at some point for dinner, you know, if, if you're a meat eater, you know what I mean? So it's the cycle of life that you see. And we have that in our seasons. And, and, and so I, for, for me, it just became a natural thing. And then of course, I'm old enough that back before hospice became a thing, um, like we have here in the United States, which is a wonderful support for people that are dealing with end of life issues. But my grandmother, people, the family members came to the family farm to live out, you know, to get assistance from my grandmother and ultimately to die there. Mm. So as a child, when I'm there and I'm crawling in bed with my great, great grandmother, you know, to adjust her oxygen, I don't think that's weird because that's life and that's death. So a lot of it, I think, is we got away from that because at least here in the States, you know, and and I think around the world and and in some countries, it's still practiced this way. We we took care of our dead in our home. Mm -hmm. You know, you died in the home and then the family was very ritualistic about preparing the body for burial or whatever they were going to do. And and the family was involved. And then we for the majority of us, we remove that, you know, you call the funeral home, they come and get the body and they deal with that. And we've been removed from that process, you know? Uh, And, and that's not a comment that it's a bad thing. It's just that when you no longer are involved in that kind of stuff, it kind of changes the way people perceive death. So I think more and more people are starting to think about it. I personally think that death education should be taught at a pretty young age Um, because children, it's very natural to ask the question, um, you know, mom, am I going to die? 
Yeah. You know, and, and the good answer, typically, at least in my world, my opinion is, yes, honey, you are, but, but not for a long time. Mm. And, you know, they're going to ask, are you going to die? Yes, I am. But I'm doing everything in my power. You know, I'm going to plan to be here as long as you can possibly imagine. And I am going to make you eat your green beans or, you know <laughs> what I mean? You just you yes. come up with a way to relate on their, on their level. Yeah. Because when we don't talk about it, it becomes this thing, right? This, this, it, that's where I think fear gets embedded. And when we don't talk about it, especially with children, what I've seen happen is that they create their own stories and they're not really accurate. Mm. So, for example, I had an experience where one of my children, we went to a family funeral. They were young. And shortly after that, you know, within a few weeks, I would wake up in the middle of the night and they would be standing over me. I mean, and this was happening a lot to the point that I, I just couldn't figure out what was going on. I talked to him about it, make a very long story short. I took them uh, to a counselor and said, there's something going on with their sleep and I can't get it figured out. And they came and uh, the counselor found out that what happened is that someone at that funeral service, when my grandfather was in the casket, someone at the funeral service said to my child, oh, honey, don't worry about it. Grandpa's just sleeping. Oh, so my child was waking up in the middle of the night to come and make sure that I was breathing because I was sleeping. So you see, wow. I mean, that's a, that's a normal developmental reaction, but that's why we have to have these discussions with our children because we don't know what it was a reasonable assumption by my child. Yeah, and we don't know what the child is going to do with that information that we give to them, thinking that we are protecting them. Correct. But then in some ways, you know, their imagination is just so wild. Right, um, that's exactly right. And so, yeah. and all it took was literally two sessions with the counselor. <clears throat> Pardon me, because the counselor immediately was able to identify why my daughter was was doing that and then was able to we were able to to work through that and and so where she didn't have to worry about you know when her mom goes to sleep she's going to die now that's not to say that can't happen mm -hmm. but it really it, it it all generated from this this you know so that's this statement of oh you know it's like they're just sleeping well, actually, that's probably not a good analogy to use with a child. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And um, I, I can so relate to some of the things you're saying because um, I also grew up in a, in a farm in Brazil. Mm -hmm. And we did see the cycle of life. And we did see our dad came home, you know, like exactly what you're talking about. But it, somehow, um, I think that we sanitized death and we've removed it from the family from our our human experience and it became something that you know it's um over there 
people do with that. And by by removing it from our daily experience, I think that we have done ourselves a disfavor in in the sense of like um, I have my kids have been around lots of funerals because my husband was Maori from um, native people from New Zealand ah. and Maori people have a very different worldview around death. And so mm. when there is somebody that dies, for example, with Jason, he died. And yes, he did go to a funeral home, but it was my sister-in-law and my niece that went there to clean his body. Mm-hmm. I didn't because I was literally losing my mind. Right. Something right. happened to me and I had a terrible breakdown. I couldn't mm-hmm. function at all. And so I didn't go. Um, and I don't, there was a time when I felt like I should have gone, I should have gone, but I, you know, it is what it is now. And I didn't go, but I'm grateful that my sister-in-law and my niece were able to do that. And that's what Maori people do for their dad. And then after the funeral home, when we came there and we saw him and we took his body to our church and the, uh, my church was incredible because they set up the whole church as a Maori um, meeting house, which is called a marae. Mm. And we bring our dead to our marais and people will come and there is singing, there is wailing, there is um, stories about that person and everybody sleeps together and uh, together with the body, which for Westerners, this is like shocking, right? But this was um, a four day kind of ordeal mm-hmm. and there's lots of food and then there's cycles in that so uh, a group of people will come as visitors would come they are all ushered in together and then there is a whole um you know the proper protocol from the maori worldview where mm-hmm. the elders would speak welcoming the new visitors and then somebody from the visitor side will come and speak acknowledging um everyone including the person that has passed away and their family and after that there is um we eat together and then there is all the cycle of waves of grief that wash over you. Mm-hmm. And after three or four days, in Jason's case, it was four days of that, then mm-hmm. we have a really big service and we take the body to either uh, to be buried because the Maoris mm-hmm. don't cremate. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like flabbergasting to a lot of people. It wasn't for me because growing mm-hmm. up in a farm, like the difference is that in Brazil it's 24 hours. So you don't have the time to right. really have all those massive tsunamis of grief waves washing over you in the company of people that can hold you. And right. I found that this was a really incredible part of my grieving process, especially because of the state mental and emotional that I was in. And so hearing you talking about that, um, I can think about lots of family, friends and their kids. They have never seen a dead person. And my kids have slept beside their papa, their nana, their cousins, you know, and their father in Marai for four days. <laughs> I think people I listening think to beautiful. me, people listening to me right now are probably going to be like, oh my God, this is so weird. But it no, was... It's not. It's really not. It's not. Even in, in the United States, that's a very indicative of, of how different indigenous cultures would handle uh, 
a death of a loved one. It's not an unusual um, for indigenous peoples. However, it's not something that's very, that's talked about. You know, I mean, that, I mean, it's not like you shouldn't talk about it. It's just not talked about. Of course, we yeah. don't talk about death in general. Yeah. We, it's become, like you said, sanitized in that, um, that, that we have this hired professional that comes in and takes the body and prepares them and then tells us when we can come and, you know, visit them and at the funeral home or however that may be. That's, that's become kind of the standard way of doing it. What I'm seeing in a lot of families right now is that people, they want to go back and incorporate some of those um, ways where the family is involved with wow. the, the washing of the body. There's a, a big thing called um, the National Home Funeral Alliance um, that, that you know, where people want to have home funerals. And it's mm -hmm. very, you know, again, indicative of what you're talking about. Different, you know, because some people make their own coffins. Some mm -hmm. A family member will make the coffin and the, all the children and family members will come in and they'll do art on the coffin. I mean, you know, there's just a lot of different, but that's one of the things that uh, end-of-life doulas can help people do is come up with those what I'll call rituals, right? Mm -hmm. That are mourning and grieving rituals to help people to fully, you know, let that energy move through them. So I think it's beautiful. I know I, I think that's a lovely way to, to, um, to honor our dead. But again, the other way isn't a bad way either. You know what I mean? I have no judgment about that. It's really about what people feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. My big point is make sure your loved ones know yeah. what it is that you want. You know, for example, <laughs> my husband and I have a joke, but it's quite serious. I've told him, if you have a, you know, if I'm in a hospital bed and I'm in my last days, I kid you not, my love, if you have this particular news program on, I will come back and haunt you. I don't want, that, you know, I do not want people screaming at each other over the, tele, the television in, in my energy space of my death. I want nature sounds. I want this. I want that. You know, those kinds of, but we've had those conversations to the yeah. point that we've kind of, I, we can joke about it now, but yeah. he knows, he knows exactly what I you know, and when I do these different classes that I do with people or I do these different consultations, that's one of the questions I talk to people about is, okay, envision what is it you want it to look like? Mm. And it's beyond just thinking about what you want, you got to let somebody know it. Yeah. so that they can honor that and do their best. Now, what I do always tell people also is give, you know, when you write out what you want from your family, and let's just talk about cremains for a moment. Like, I want my cremains taken to the top of the Empire State Building and, you know, in, in the United States, and I want my ashes spread throughout the city. That's not possible. That's against the law. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that's not going to happen. Um, 
for example, my when my stepfather, I had talked to him long before his death. I knew exactly what he wanted with his cremains. He wanted it in his old a home that he had built by hand, but it had sold. And the new resident, they weren't having it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And so I had a choice. And that was that I could honor his wishes or I could you know, by breaking the law, or I had to come up with another alternative. And so that's what I call the asterisk. If you tell someone, this is what I want, always give them an asterisk, because I can't go the rest of my life feeling guilty. I wasn't able to put him where, you know, he Mm. wanted to be. So we talk about plan B's, you know what I mean? So that, that people can, can, um, if you're unable, that asterisk, if you're unable to do this, do this, or whatever you can do that you know is in alignment with what I would want. I, I really appreciate you saying that because I think that, that um, for a lot of people, the last wishes of someone, even if they had talked about it before and things have changed, like you said, you know, he built that house, but then the house sold or whatever the, that last wish is. Like, I think that we can get so caught up in just doing that because it's in some ways, um, as human beings, we want to honor the last wishes of the person that we love mm-hmm. that is no longer here. And and we can take that into such a serious, um, like we can put the blindfolds on and just have this tunnel vision that you have to do that. And if you are unable to do that, then we can create a narrative, an internal story that is really toxic for ourselves. And yes. I don't think that this is what the person that died intended, but we Not take it all. that way. Right. Well, and I think that's part of the grief process, too, because remember, you're creating that story Mm. at a time that you're in grief, most likely. So that's a really easy thing to do. So, for example, my sister, who I love very much, died in December of 2019. Oh, thank you. And and we lived in different states. So I literally flew in a few days, you know, before she died uh, to be with her and accompany her through her death. What the gift for me that my sister gave me, among many other things, is that two to three years before that, we had had dinner one night and I was talking to her and I'm like, you know, it, when I die, I want X, Y, and Z. You know, this is what I think I want. And I'm like, tell me, what do you want? She told me, I want to be cremated. I want this particular disposition of my cremains. This is really important to me if you can do it. This, you know, and she gave me all. And if I get sick, I want, you know, because I was her medical, what's called her medical power of attorney. So I did end up having to make certain decisions, medical decisions, but I already had had all those discussions with her. Mm. So I exactly what it was that she would want. And even though I've been with hundreds, you know, of people at the end of their life, I still was like, is this, you know, I still had that 
little voice in my head go, am I making the right choice? Is this Mm. really, you know, and it's like, wait a minute, you have this discussion with her. She told you X, Y, and Z, you know? So it's a very, it's a very common thing to do. But, but the gift is she'd given me all the information to Mm. work with. And that's what I, I just, cannot stress enough I really wish people would do and there's all kinds of ways to do it you know you can sit around and say hey you know I heard this podcast today there's this crazy lady that says I should ask you do you want to be buried or cremated (laughs) yes you you know do you want classical music played at the funeral or or do you want you know the stones the rolling stones play or whatever that may be you know rock and roll I mean and you can, there's just all kinds of ways to, to bridge people having those really important discussions. If you're yeah. even, the best thing is to write it all down and mm-hmm. to give it to someone, but at least having the conversations. But if you have multiple family members, you need to tell everybody. Yes. Because that's where you get into the sisters yeah. <laughs> having their their issue or other family members. Uh, because again, remember, everybody is processing their grief. Yeah. And so if there's anything that isn't spelled out, it can just really turn into a, a, a real problem. Yeah. I have another personal um, experience with what you're mm-hmm. talking about because for my husband in his culture, um, you go, you get buried where your parents are from. So in your ancestor land. Mm-hmm. So my husband, we live in the city of Auckland in New Zealand. He was born and raised here in Auckland. I'm originally from Brazil. We got married. Um, we met in Brazil and then came here and we got married and our kids are from here. So my life has really been in Auckland and Jason's most of his life was in Auckland. And he, um, his family are from a place called Mitimiti, which is up north in um, New, Ze- New Zealand, top of New Zealand. And so that's where his mother and father and uncles and cousins are buried. His mom is from a different Maori tribe, but she wanted to be married, uh, to be um, buried together with my father-in-law up in Mitimiti. And... So every time we go there for a family funeral, you know, it's a gathering and there is, again, all that, um, those waves of grief through the, what we call it a tangi, which is a Maori funeral. And Jason went up there with a few, a couple of friends, and he was a counselor for a all boys Catholic school. Mm -hmm. One of the boys early in um, 2017 passed away. And his family was also from Mitimiti. So Jason went together with a bus of the boys that came from the school as a support to Mitimiti for the tangi of this young boy. Mm-hmm. When he was there, he was with two other friends of ours that came along. And um, they were walking on the dunes and they had this conversation, this, this, just the three of them. Where would you like to be buried? Mm. And Everybody just thought, oh, Jason would want to be here because here's where his ancestors 
are. His mom and dad are buried here. And he said, no, actually, I don't. I want to be buried in West Auckland, where I grew up, where I was born, where my family is. I want to be close to my daughters and I want to be close to my wife. Because just about five minutes from our house, there is a cemetery. Mm. And we pass in front of the cemetery every single day to take the kids to school. And that's where he wanted to be buried. So he had this conversation with our two friends. This is around January and he passed away in May. Wow. So the consensus with his family was immediately he died, you know, and we're going to take him up north together with mom and dad. So he had told his friends that, and then he came back from that trip and told me, and he said, we had this conversation, you know, um, Matt, Brad and I, we had this conversation and I told them I wanted to be buried here. And I said, Ooh, that's not going to be good with your family. They're not going to like that. And he goes, well, but this is what I want. And I want you to know what I want. And I, again, just felt like, well, um, let's not really talk about that because, you know, we're going to grow old and toothless together. We will decide that then. We cross that bridge when we get to it. Little did I know that four months later, I would be in front of that bridge. And if I had not had that conversation with my husband, it would have been very difficult to honor his wishes. And also my desire was for him to be close to us. And this is breaking some really important uh, cultural traditions and family traditions. But my family, Jason's family was amazing because the moment that our friends were able to say that to them, and then they checked with me and I'm like, yes, that's what he wanted. Then my sister-in-law, who is just like, she's the boss. I love her. She just Mm. went, well, then that's what we're going to do. And there were Mm. family members that were coming um, from all sorts of parts of the country and they couldn't understand it because they did not have that conversation. So there was conflict in there. But again, because Maoris deal with um, life and death and and honoring people in a different way, ultimately, you know, people kind of came to an agreement and yes, he's going to be buried here. But there was a lot of conflict and I'm so glad I had people on my side Mm -hmm. so that I could just, it didn't become a fight. It became a dialogue so that I missed the, the, the grief that everyone was trying to process because I lost my husband, but people lost, other people lost him right. as well. It was, it was hard, but we were able to pull together um, and we became closer f- because of that. Right. And if Not we every didn't, family if, is able to do that. Not every and family again, is able to do that. Thank goodness he had voiced that. Yeah, you know what I mean? and not just to me, right? Because and it's one thing. And I, I wish that I could say that your word would be good enough with family, but, but that's where the writing it down or making sure multiple people know or the people who will be making decisions, I think that's where it's really important to let them know. Again, yeah. it's, it's, you know, you get to make the decision, but it just you don't have to doubt yourself. You don't have to, I mean, it just takes so much pressure off of you or the, or the decision maker because these were his wishes. Yeah. And if for some reason there was no longer space at that cemetery close to your home, or there was some reason that he couldn't have been, um, you know, laid to rest there, that's what the asterisk is about. 
Yes. Yeah. Thank I, that's, you, so much you know, that, that's, and that's why it's important that we have those discussions with our loved ones. Yeah, just kind of like, oh, there is an elephant in the room. Let's just talk about it and put the elephant to rest for a while, you know, because um, this this fear that I had before, it was almost a little bit like what you mentioned other people saying to you, that if you actually face it and you talk about it, you're jinxing it, you know, you're just like, you're bringing it about as if we could do that by just thinking about death, you uh-huh. know, um, one of the things that I, I do is I, I'm a writer. And so, um, when I went to do my master's in creative writing, one, we learned about this very early on, you start a book, you start a screenplay, you start a play, you start from the end. What's your end? What mm-hmm. is your ending? And then you walk, and then you write mm-hmm. the play, and then you write the book. But in life, yeah. we don't do that. We don't, mm-hmm. we avoid thinking about the end. And then, of course, it catches up to us sooner or later. And my opinion is that by looking at death, by exploring death, we actually will live more consciously. Mm-hmm. I mean, All the experiences that I've had with my loved ones who have had medical issues, especially, um, I am really grateful for every day, Mm. every day that, that I wake up and they're there, (laughs) you know, because that, that isn't everyone's experience. And I've seen that, obviously that was your experience as well. And so I believe by by looking at death, it really has made me more fully live my life and not to waste my really valuable, precious time that I have here mm. on nonsense. You know what I mean? I just don't Amen. I don't get caught up. I don't <laughs> get caught up in in I'm not gonna I mean I am you know, a spiritual being in the midst of a human experience. So I have my moments too. I don't want to act like I'm all Mother Teresa. I'm not, although that's a lovely role model. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the point being that I catch, you know, I'm very, con- I try to be very conscious about, is this really how I want to spend my energy today? You know, is this really something I want to give energy to and spend time thinking about? Mm, I think I want to shift that consciousness and Mm. and really invest my time and my energy and all that I have to give in something that's way more productive than, you know, this nonsense, that kind of thing. So that's that for me, that's one of the blessings of sitting and looking at my death has given me because I do have a finite amount of time here on this planet. Everyone does, but I'm very conscious of that at this point. And of course, the older I get, well, guess what? The, you know, the longer I've lived. And so, I mean, that's a, that's, that's a wonderful blessing, but it also means that, you know, I'm past most likely the, the halfway point of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that just being aware of that means that I'm going to make sure that every day I'm here, I'm doing it the best I can do, you know, yeah. the, and, and feeling really, and enjoying it. 
you know, if I'm, if I have a job that I absolutely am not happy in every day, you know, is that really how I want to spend every day on the planet? I don't think so. You know, so you start trying to take, then that's where my coaching stuff comes in. You start trying to, to move yourself forward into what is it that you want? What is it that's important to you? Because yeah, you're going to die at some point. So let's do what's, you know, let's start working on what's important to me Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And it's really um, sobering, I think, um, to face the the reality that you are going to die, knowing that that's the only certainty that you have. For me, that really came after Jason died because I was very afraid of dying and leaving my kids alone. I think that was the biggest fear. It wasn't that I was afraid of dying. I was afraid of what would happen to my children um, if I died because then they would have no parents. And that was that was frightening. And so because it was frightening, sometimes I didn't want to think about it. But because the grief was so intense, I could not not think about it. And I quickly came to the realization that um, we live, at least I was living, as if, um, as if I'm living forever, as if I have all this time in the world to postpone all the things that are really important to me um, and just burn my time away with nonsense um, because one day I'm going to get to do the things that, are, that really matter because one day I'm going to sort things out because one day and that one day, I don't have that one day. I have today. Mm-hmm. And when Jason died, that really was um, a, a big, I don't know, I think I was hit with a two by four in the face kind of going, I might not have this whole day either because, you mm-hmm. know, he went to work and then never came back. So yeah. I have right now, what am I doing with right now? And it's easier said than then. I think in the, initially I was really aware of that. Um, now, three years and three months later, life catches up with you. And of course, as a single mother, I have to, you know, work two jobs to make do and I'm doing a podcast why commit when you can overcommit, right Um, but but I think that I'm starting to go okay I I've got to start to pursue some of the things that are really important to me even though I still need to be the only responsible adult that's putting foot on the table and the roof of our heads how am I going to find ways to fulfill this desire that I have in my heart to be of service to people Mm -hmm. and to create a life that I am proud of living behind and that's um that has been a hard thing it's not easy but by doing that I think that I'm coming to a place of what you mentioned before of being okay with that sense of I am going to die um hopefully not today (laughs) for not a long time but I don't I can't choose that what I can choose is how am I going to spend my energy today and what are the energies that I allow to uh, influence me Mm mm-hmm and what, what came up for me when you were talking is that you're also creating legacy for your children. 
So someday your children will have the opportunity and will most likely as adults listen to your podcast. So if you think about that, about what you're doing today that will impact your children in the future, it gives them a whole other glimpse at you as an adult, Mm. as a grieving mom, as a grieving wife, all of the things that you've experienced and are experiencing right now, that right now they see you as their mom. You know what I I mean? They're certainly most likely aware that everybody has their grief that they're processing, but your mom at the end of the day, you're making sure there's food on the table. You're dealing with homework. You're this, that, and the other thing, but someday there'll be adults and this and, and when you leave the planet, not that it has to be after you leave the planet, it could be before, but they get an opportunity to see through whatever you create here in your writing, in your podcast, they get an opportunity to get to know their mom in a totally different way. Because right now they're just kids. And that for me has been a, for that's part of how when we talk about an end of life doula and a life in my work as a life and death coach, how I help people to create legacy. What do you want your children to remember about you questions, you know, or what do what impact do you want to make on the world? Not everybody has children, but what's important to you that you have done and really help people bring that to fruition, to put that to work in their lives right now. So, for example, I am, I, I, I'm a great writer, but I don't have a lot of time right now to do other, you know, writing for my children. Let me put it that way. So, a long time ago, I created Gmail accounts. And they're like, mom to and my child's name. Mom to and my child's name. And when I die, my children will get the passwords to those accounts. Mm. And so what I can do in my pockets of time is I can forward an article I read and say, you know what, when you're a mom someday, I really think you'll find this article interesting. Right. And oh, I love that. And put it in the Gmail account. Or someday, you know, like, you know what? You called me out of the blue today just to say you love me. And that was really awesome. Thank you for doing that. Love, mom. Boom. And they're going to remember that on, you know, August 8th of 2020, they called me. You know, and it may be 20 years from now when they're reading it. Whatever it is, there's all kinds of different ways to create legacy with your children. And again, that's one, and your family and loved ones, not just your children. And that's something that, that people who do my work, that we help people do. That is, I absolutely love that idea. I'm going to take that one absolutely. for myself. Do it. Um, I will definitely start creating that, those Gmail's account and start popping things in there. Well, and here's the, here's the reality as, as, from one, as one mom to another. Got three girls. I have three girls. All, and they're all grown now. Um, and in my children's life, not only are they going to most likely experience my death, 
but they're going to experience the death of other loved ones, of dear yes. friends, of colleagues, of different people in their lives. So I, I remind you of that in that for my girls, it's, it, I think it would be helpful to just write what you're, to be honest with your, you know, hey, it's Tuesday. You just left for soccer practice and, you know, I've got a few minutes and I just wanted to tell you, this is really hard. I'm having a rough day today and I'm not telling you, you know what I mean? Or I'm not as your mom. My job is to make sure that you're secure and safe and blah, blah, blah. But I, in other words, model authenticity for your children and give them permission to be human too. Hmm. When they experience that as adults, not necessarily maybe what you want to talk to them at whatever age they're at now, a younger age, but when they're adults, one of the, the biggest aha moments for me in my life as, as a uh, parent <laughs> was when one of my children as an adult, a young adult commented to me, you know, cause I was having a real, real rough time at one point and grieving the loss of, of my marriage. Actually, it was, I would, had been married a long time and, and my child's comment was, we have never seen you like this. Mm. You're scaring us. I mean, you're, you're superwoman. You can do anything. You can manage multiple jobs. You can always make sure dinner's on the table. You can blah, 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 blah. And you're freaking us out because you're, you're doing good to get out of bed in the morning. Mm. So, and, and what that light bulb said to me, my light bulb moment in that was to say to my child, then I've done you a disservice Mm. because what you haven't seen is that I've been crying in the shower. And what you haven't seen is that I go into my closet sometimes and scream in a pillow and cry. Yeah. And that's what pain is all about. That's what grieving feels like. And it's natural and it's normal and you're probably going to experience it too. And it's okay if I've made you think that you should always be superwoman, then I've done you a disservice as a parent. You do the best that you can in any given moment, but don't ever give yourself grief if you're not superwoman. So I think this is such an important message for so many women for so many women. I, you know, I think it's a great message for men as well. Absolutely. Um, because, because we teach them to be strong and to show up and not have emotion and, you know. Yeah, not show any emotion. Yeah. And then, wow. Okay. So I've, I'm <laughs> blown away by this actually, because um, oh. there were lots of times when I, when I cried in the shower when I cried with my face in the pillow and I didn't want to disturb my kids or I didn't want to upset my kids. Um, But then there's lots of times um, after Jason died that my grief was very public. And in some ways, my kids um, as teenagers, they would be really um, embarrassed by me 
Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to my daughter once, I said, honey, I don't know what it's like for you to have lost your dad because he was an amazing dad and I never had a father. So I'm not going to even claim to understand or I'm not going to say that I know what you're going through because I don't, mm-hmm. but you never had a husband. And so you do not understand what it is like to lose your husband. And I hope with all my heart, you never have to. That you never know. Yeah. But right now, I am gonna. I am going to hurt for your dad. I'm gonna hurt. I'm gonna allow myself to grieve mm-hmm. for your dad. And no, neither you nor anybody else is gonna tell me how to do this. I'm gonna figure that out on my own. And That's she was important. She was 15 yeah. at the time, and my youngest one was 12. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was hard. You know, it was really hard. But I felt like I. Again, I was going to be doing them a disservice if I did not show my grief to them because then it's like when they are facing, because they probably will face heartbreak in this world, Mm -hmm. then if they compare their pain and kind of go, why am I so weak? My mom had it all together and she went Mm -hmm. through hard things. Um, I'm not going to actually be helping them to be a human being that can have their heart broken, their spirit crushed, and then get up and continue going, you know? Mm-hmm. That's, um, no, you, that's, that's, that's good parenting. Yeah. It didn't We're feel good in the can. moment. It didn't it, feel no. good, but, you no. know. And, and, and especially with a teenager. I mean, it, you know, and, and even if, we do something in the moment that we're like, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. I mean, again, you know, we just take responsibility and we get up, you know, we dust ourselves off and we get up tomorrow and we do better. You know, Maya Angelou has that beautiful saying, and I hope I can get it right, but something to the effect of you do better when you know better. Yeah. Yeah. But now you do the best that you can. And when you do better, when you know better, you're going to do better. And I can certainly say that my whole life has been an evolution. You know what I mean? I look back on some of the choices that I've made in my life and go, wow, that was just really not the best choice in the whole world. (laughs) (laughs) I learned from it and it informed who I am today. And today I do better because I know better than to make that choice. That's so amazing. So what am I going to do now is because I still um, have a lot of things to ask you. And what I want to do is um, I'm going to take, we are going to pause this and continue this conversation on the next episode. So um, I will let people know still on this one, how can they they find you and get um, a hold of your um, books and your services. But for now, we're going to take a break and we will see everybody else on the next episode. Is that okay with you? That's perfect. Thank you so much. I'm really enjoying visiting. All right. Okay. We have come to the end of our episode. And I want to acknowledge you, my darling, who have been listening to this conversation. Thank you so much for your time and your attention. Chances are you found crazy grief because you are grieving the death of your person or you want to support someone who is grieving. 
I am so sorry our paths have crossed in this way, but I am glad we found each other. My email is on the show notes. Please reach out. I would love to hear from you. Do subscribe to this podcast and leave us a five-star rating so we can continue to produce more meaningful conversations about grief. And remember, you're not going crazy. You're just grieving. Take a moment to breathe, reach out to someone you trust, and be kind to yourself. Light and peace.